0: Hi friends, here we are again, working together through the Bible in the Daily Bible Project podcast. And we're still in this Genesis chapter 23, which I've entitled my talk for this week, really dealing with death. But it's looking at the story of what happens when Abraham's wife Sarah dies and how he he deals with that seeing if there's, if there's anything that we can learn from that. But we're going to pick up straight away in Genesis chapter 23, reading verses 3 to 9. And it tells us this, Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site where I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince amongst us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs None of us would refuse you his tomb for burying your dead Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites And he said to them If you are willing to let me bury my dead Then listen to me and intercede with Ephron son of Zohar on my behalf So he will sell me the cave of Machpelai Which belongs to him and is at the end of his field ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site amongst you. Now I did mention last time that some experts who have studied death and dying have come up with what they call the five stages of grief. Now When I have in the past talked to people who are going through the loss of a loved one I usually mention these steps but I think it's interesting that I believe they are biblically identified here as part of a normal grieving process. Now experts would tell you that when sometimes someone suffers a loss of the death of a loved one the first thing that happens to them is denial. I suppose that makes sense at some level. We all know that when someone passes away that we've known probably the first thing we say is oh no I can't believe it. We may even walk around for a while finding it hard to accept that they will never see them again. So even for people in fairly casual relationships, there's that very limited form of denial. But the closer the relationship is, the more intense that feeling usually is. And that's perfectly natural. When it's someone you love, there is often part of you that just finds it really difficult to face up to the fact, hard to believe really, that you can accept that you're never going to see that person again and they're really gone. And that is a very low level form of denial. Now the second phase I often see is people often feel an element of of guilt about the death. Now what I mean by that is that people feel guilty in the sense that they think after the person's died, you know I wish I'd said something to them about how much they meant to me, or I wish I'd done things differently, I wish I hadn't had that argument with them last week, that sort of things. Now that for some people can even lead to a sense of anger, anger at themselves. But the third phase of denial, which some people say is anger, is usually more a sense of feeling angry with themselves. But some people can even get angry with the person that has left them and died and maybe left them you know, feeling emotionally vulnerable and sometimes even get angry with God and blame him for allowing that person to die. But then for most people, There's hopefully a point when they can eventually reach a point of acceptance. Eventually they can really see that their loved one has indeed gone. And they begin to try and put their life back together minus that person. Now for Christians those basic truths will be too. But the intensity and the the type of emotion that they experience may be slightly uh, different from those who don't know the Lord. But I, I do think it's helpful to know that we need to understand that these feelings and these intention mo- motions that we might experience are natural, normal and real for everyone. And I also know that we need to be prepared for what happens when someone we know loses a loved one or where and of course we and ourselves do. Now, when I say these are steps, that's what the world calls them. I don't mean they're steps in the sense that you go from one to the next, to the second, to the third, and you move on from one to the other. The way it usually happens is these steps, uh, these phases, they come in waves. You might go through the first one and the second one, and then you might come back to begin to the first one before continuing to the, the third. It's a bit like waves, some people have described it. I thought it interesting when I read something once that surfers have this myth when they say the 7th wave is the big one. Now I don't know if that's true, but I know when it comes to grief that waves of emotion come over you. Waves of emotion can suddenly hit you. Just think when you think you're getting over it and you're maybe at a later stage in the process of grieving, then you get overwhelmed and swept away by that big emotional 7th wave so to speak. Perhaps a smell, perhaps a memory, perhaps a place you visited. Perhaps even seeing someone who looks like your dear departed loved one sets you off in that raw emotion again. But isn't it interesting that what was natural for Abraham thousands of years ago is still natural for us today. And I believe this text is simply telling us and trying to help us by saying look a great man of faith like Abraham did it then and it's normal and natural and maybe you might even say a healthy thing for us too to be upset and to cry and to mourn. But we can also see that Abraham in this passage he reaches a point where he believes it's now time to address some of the practical issues that have arisen following the death of his wife. So the next thing we see Abraham do is purchase a piece of burial land. Now what may seem strange here and seems strange certainly to some is that the next seven verses and in a sense the entire rest of this chapter are given over to the process of Abraham buying a burial plot and somewhere to live. And there's nothing like this anywhere else in the Bible that we see this much detail over a legal process like this. So why did the author of Genesis decide to give so much space to the fact that he's simply buying a burial plot, a plot of land? Why are these details important? Well, hopefully, if you pop back again tomorrow and join us again, we shall find out in the next episode. So I hope you find that helpful, and that's it for today. But other than that, I hope that you'll be able to join me right back here tomorrow on the Daily Bible Project podcast. Bye-bye for now.